When I think of the Middle East, I think of uh, conflict and 9-11 and oil. Uh, when someone says the words Middle East, I think of ISIS and like the war on terror, but also I think of the uh, Israel-Palestine conflict and then also refugee crises. Um, being Jewish, I think of Israel first, definitely. I think the politics of everything going on there are really confusing. They're always in conflict with one another, even though like the majority of the people there are all Muslim. It's kind of confusing with all the different terrorist groups, and then there's people who aren't terrorists and are just rebels, and then there's um, the governments, and like, there's a lot of people who say people are bad guys, and there's a lot of people who are supposed to be good guys who are actually bad guys, and it's kind of confusing. This is What Teachers Need to Know, the Middle East edition, the podcast that explains current events as well as history, culture, and social issues of the modern Middle East and North Africa. I'm Josh of Primary Source, a nonprofit that provides professional development for K-12 teachers in global learning. This podcast is just one of the many ways we help educators bring the wider world to their classrooms so that all students get the knowledge and skills they need to become engaged global citizens. To learn more about Primary Source in this podcast, visit www.primarysource.org slash podcasts. The creation of this podcast was made possible through generous support from Cutter Foundation International, a nonprofit organization that inspires meaningful connections to the Arab world by creating a global community of diverse learners and educators. Learn more about QFI at www.qfi.org. So where exactly is the Middle East? I'll admit, this seems like a pretty ridiculous question to ask especially in launching a podcast that claims to have expertise on matters related to the Middle East. And yet, you'd be surprised at how difficult the question is to answer. We asked some students at a suburban high school here in Massachusetts where they thought the Middle East is, and you can hear the confusion and sometimes frustration in their responses as they tried to pin the region down. It um, is across multiple continents. It's like Palestine, Israel, it's like Iraq, Iran... Afghanistan. I would say it's east and northeast of Egypt, um, southeast of Turkey, uh, including Turkey maybe, um, and then going as far as Pakistan. Like, I would, well, it's like near Asia and Africa, I think of like Egypt and like that kind of, it's, it's like I feel like it's kind of a central point in a way, and I think of the desert a lot. It's like the area of like Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, like the most Arabic-speaking countries where there's like a Muslim majority.
We frequently run PD programs for teachers on the topic of the modern Middle East, and I've taken to starting these programs by giving participants some colored pencils and a blank map of the world, and asking them to shade in the countries that make up the Middle East. I've done this several times over the past few years, but it still amazes me just how different all the maps turn out. Some teachers shade in what you'd generally expect, the Eastern Mediterranean, all of North Africa, and the Arabian Peninsula. And they might leave out Iran or maybe Turkey. Other maps look very different and include Iran and Turkey, but maybe leave out North Africa. And some leave nothing in that general part of the world uncolored, shading in pretty much everything between Pakistan in the east to Morocco in the west to Somalia in the south and Kazakhstan in the north. I always have the teachers share their maps with their neighbors, and they're usually as surprised as I am to see the wide range of interpretations. Of course, professional map makers have the same problem. Do a quick search online, and you'll find more than a dozen unique maps of the Middle East, each of them slightly different in terms of which countries they include and which they don't. The activity is fun and it gets people talking. It does exactly what you want a great warm-up to do. But it also highlights many of the key problems that exist for those of us who teach about the Middle East. First, how can we have a meaningful conversation about the Middle East when we're not all on the same page about where the region is and which countries and peoples it includes? This isn't just semantics. Lumping a collection of countries together under a single banner implies that, in some tangible way, the people who live there all have something in common that distinguishes them from others, even those who may live nearby. In other words, what exactly makes the people who live in the Middle East, Middle Eastern? Is it shared ethnicity? Or perhaps religion? Or what about a unifying language, such as Arabic? You can see how this line of thinking can create a lot of problems. Many of the people who we think of as being Middle Easterners do identify as Arabs, but there are tens of millions of Middle Easterners who do not, including Kurds, Turks, and Persians, among others. Not all Middle Easterners are Muslim, either. Christians, Jews, and people of other faiths call the region home, too, and some have for centuries. In fact, if Islam itself was what made Middle Easterners Middle Eastern, then that would mean that other parts of the world could arguably be considered parts of the Middle East, too including India, West Africa, and much of Southeast Asia. Nor do all Middle Easterners speak the same language. Again, while many do speak various dialects of Arabic, others speak Hebrew, Farsi, Turkish, Kurdish, and if you consider Afghanistan and Pakistan to be part of the Middle East, Pashto and Urdu as well. And that's not including the many languages spoken in Central Asia or the Horn of Africa, if we're counting those regions as being part of the Middle East too. Of course, what makes Middle Easterners Middle Eastern in most Westerners' minds is a combination of these and other factors, including similar and related languages, cultural norms, and shared histories. But it's important to remember that the term Middle East is pretty ambiguous and in many ways artificially constructed, and that there is no inherent Middle Eastern identity. This brings up a related point. By lumping countries and peoples together and calling it the Middle East, we're placing an artificial label on many millions of people who would in all likelihood strongly disagree with our judgment and lumping them together in the first place. 
Unlike some regions of the world that have pretty clearly defined boundaries, such as Scandinavia or Central America or even New England, the line that separates the Middle East from the rest of Africa, Europe, and Asia changes depending on who you ask. Look at the Arab world, for example. Do people living in Morocco necessarily feel any connection to people living in Lebanon or Iraq or Yemen because they all speak Arabic? Or take the country of Turkey. Turkey is a predominantly Muslim nation that was for centuries the heart of the Ottoman Empire, but is now a member of NATO and is actively seeking to join the European Union. Does this mean that Turkey is a European country? And if not, can a Middle Eastern country even be a member of NATO or the EU? Finally, the teacher's maps raise the problem of perspective. The very phrase Middle East suggests that the speaker herself is talking about the region from a Western vantage point, such as in Europe or North America. From this view, the Middle East is east from where she's standing, but not as near as Austria or Greece, or as far away as India or China. It's somewhere in the middle. Think about it another way. If you were from, say, Kenya or Tanzania, would you refer to the Middle East as the Middle East? Or from where you're standing, would it be the North? Or maybe the Middle North, as in north from where you stand, but not as far north as Russia? It's funny to think about, I know, but again, we're not just having fun with words here. What do you call the Middle East when you live in Cairo, or Istanbul, or Tehran? From these perspectives, the Middle East isn't East or West or anything. It's just where you are. We're not advocating for a name change in every newspaper and textbook, especially since some Middle Easterners, though not all, have adopted the term as their own. But we still need to recognize that in calling the Middle East the Middle East, we're often putting ourselves as outside viewers first and de-emphasizing the perspectives of people who live in the region right off the bat. This can easily contribute to misunderstandings and misperceptions about the many people who call the Middle East home. Our point is, the Middle East, however you define it, is in many ways an imagined place. It's also an incredibly diverse region, much more so than most outsiders realize. It isn't monolithic, and we shouldn't think of it as such. Saudi Arabia is a very different place from Kuwait and Jordan and Algeria. Tunisia and Libya, while neighbors, have very different forms of government. And it's why you can find more Western-style nightclubs in Beirut and Tel Aviv and Dubai than in Tehran or Riyadh. Just like Europeans and Americans, Middle Easterners don't all think of themselves in the same ways, and they disagree on matters of theology and religious practice, on social norms, on governance and economy, even on history. And while there are currently a number of violent conflicts taking place in the Middle East, it's important to understand that conflict itself isn't endemic to the region. Rather, these conflicts, like conflicts everywhere else in the world, usually stem from specific disputes over politics, access to resources, and sometimes legacies from European colonialism, not from theology or centuries of unending warfare. It's important that our students understand this and have the skills to navigate this level of complexity without falling back on stereotypes or gross generalizations. That's why we've created this podcast and presumably why you're listening right now. So let's get started. We'll go topic by topic, point by point, and yes, 
will continue to use the term Middle East, being aware that it is problematic for all the reasons we just discussed. We'll also use the term inclusively to encompass all of North Africa, the Eastern Mediterranean, the Arabian Peninsula, Iran, Turkey, and sometimes the Horn of Africa and parts of Central and South Asia, depending on the context. We'll be careful not to overgeneralize and to highlight variation and diversity within the region too. Here's how we'll do it. Each episode, we'll meet with an expert who will guide us through an issue of political, social, or cultural importance in the Middle East. No jargon and no boring lectures. Instead, we'll stay focused on two essential questions. First, what about this issue do I really need to know? And second, how can I help my students better understand this? Through our companion website, you'll also have the opportunity to explore free online materials that can help you teach each topic. These are items our experts have vetted and know to be great. We'll look at the region in new ways and from different perspectives, giving you the knowledge, confidence, and resources you need to bring the Middle East back to your classroom. Together, we can move beyond oversimplification and promote a more nuanced understanding of the Middle East so that our kids can become informed and compassionate global citizens. To learn more about this podcast, our sponsors, and to discover free online resources that can help you teach about the Middle East, visit www.primarysource.org podcasts. Next time on What Teachers Need to Know, the Middle East. Well, I think it's important to recognize that veiling for most Muslim women is an individual choice. They decide to cover or not to cover, and they decide when in their lives to cover. The hijab for me is um, a headscarf and a commitment to being the best version of myself. Um, it's really a reminder to sort of say that, you know, people should look at me for my intelligence or my character or the lack of those two things, and that I really should focus on being the best person that I can be in all my dealings. Choosing to wear a veil or not to wear a veil can be a political act. It can be a very feminist statement that way. All this and more next time on What Teachers Need to Know, the Middle East. Ready? <laughs>